Let us pray. Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. When I say the power of love, what do you think? Song. Who sang that song? Huey Lewis and the News. Was that you, Larry Adams Thompson? Praise God. (laughs) Huey Lewis and the News. Uh, Yes, that song was the main track off of the Back to the Future soundtrack in 1985. Huey Lewis and the News did the whole soundtrack. But The Power of Love by Huey Lewis is not the only time that name was used for a pop song. Some of you who have a thing for French-Canadian singers may have been thinking of another name. Anyone? Celine Dion. I think that's, yeah, Neil said, are there any other French-Canadian singers? I'm sure there are, but none that I know of. As far as I'm concerned, she's the only one. So the power of love. Now, you may not have known that was the name of the song. You think the name of the song is, Cause I'm your lady. You are my man. Okay, it's enough. Yeah, you thought that was the name of the song. <laughs> was that as awkward and embarrassing for you as it was for me? I just, I just doubled down. I just leaned into it. So, but that is not the only two songs with the name The Power of Love. There's a third song with the name The Power of Love. It is by Frankie Goes to Hollywood. You know that song, Relax, which I will not sing? But Frankie Goes to Hollywood came out in 1984 with a song called The Power of Love, which is about the power of divine love to cleanse our soul. And if you watch the video, and you can't make this stuff up, stuff up. It's, it's the nativity story. The music video for Frankie Goes to Hollywood's song, The Power of Love, is Joseph and Mary traveling to Bethlehem to give birth to the baby Jesus and the three kings showing up. It's the power of love. Three pop songs. Same name. Clearly, love is some powerful stuff. And as Christians, we know this too, as we heard in that reading from 1 John, God is love, and love is powerful. But in the church, the Christian church, where we make a big deal out of love, I I, uh, googled church mission statements, which pulls up a list of the 50 exemplary mission statements, and about 10% of them talk about love. Uh, a little more than that, more than 10%. Love of God, love of neighbor, love of the city, whatever it may be. And of course, Bishop Curry, the presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church, the most reverend Michael B. Curry, has made the slogan, the way of love, as a way to describe Jesus' ministry and the calling of the church. The way of love is his, the focus of his ministry for the years that he will serve as presiding bishop. He wrote a book called The Way of Love. He has a talk called The Way of Love. This is a big thing. And he did not just make it up. I mean, Jesus was here to show us the way of love. 
It's just that we Christians seem to have a bit of a disconnect between the talk that we talk and the walk that we walk when it comes to love. This was evidenced to me in the great state of Arkansas. Beautiful state. We were there for spring break, staying at a state park, driving on country roads, and we saw a church. Or I did. I'm always reading church signs. And this, the parking lot to this church had two signs at the entrance. One said, all are welcome. The other sign said, no large trucks. <laughs> and I thought, well, there it is. Prius drivers welcome is what we mean when we say all are welcome. But then, you know, if I went to a cowboy church out in McLennan County and I didn't have a large truck, would I be welcome? I don't know. I'll have to get in my 05 Honda Accord hybrid and see what happens. We have a hard time putting love into practice in the church. I mean, sometimes we do an okay job of it, but in uh, our ministry, uh, I could tell you I cannot count the number of people who I have met who have been away from the church for decades, and it's because somewhere along the way where they expected love, they received the opposite of love in very painful ways. And so they, to sort of save themselves back away from the church, sometimes for a long time, sometimes they never come back. So some of you may think, based on what I've just told you, that church has this problem. We say we believe in love. We say Jesus is about love, and then we don't quite live that out. That I'm about to give you a harangue. Do you know what a harangue is? I like to say harangue, just to emphasize. So it's where I pull out the soapbox that I have behind the altar, and I put it here, and I stand on it, and I start wagging my finger at you. Beads of sweat appear on my brow. The vein in my neck pops out. And I tell you guys, get it together. Love. Love one another. St. John Chrysostom, who uh, knew, the, he was one of the last connections to the living apostles when he died. Or no, this is actually, no, Saint, actually St. John. This, this is a story about St. John. The church tradition holds that St. John, the guy that wrote this, would get up, he, he, the, I think it was in Turkey was the place where he died, and he would get up to preach, and they'd have to actually carry him into the pulpit in his 90s. And he's the only one that wasn't martyred, was St. John. And he would get up and he would say, little children love one another. And that was the extent of his sermon. So he was consistent in this method. Some are like, yes, can we get them that short? <laughs> so it was a message that he preached all the time. And I could harangue you about it. But here's the thing. The reason why St. John never stopped preaching that message is because people never really did it. He sort of said, if once you start doing it, I can change my sermon. But until you do it, I'm going to preach the same thing. So the problem is not new. I mean, the reason he had to write the letter of 1 John, the one we read this morning, is because people weren't doing it. You don't have to write people to love one another and say it four times in the passage that we read if people are already just crushing it, already loving each other for the Lord. So I won't, I won't harangue you and tell you just to get out there and love more because it won't work because love one another 
is step two. Numero dos. And we missed step one. And I want to talk to you about step one. And I'm going to not beat around the bush. I'm going to get straight to the point. The step one is to realize that God loves you. That's what John talks about in this letter. I want to talk about that. I want to say one thing about Adam Sandler, and I want to give you an experiment. So, John, in this letter, says love one another, but he also says many times something else. Now, you may have missed it, because John's writing is very circular. He's a little bit like William Faulkner. Did you have to read Sound and Fury at some point in your educational career? Great book, but William Faulkner was kind of into the stream of consciousness sort of thing. If you like linear thinking, Faulkner's not your guy. And if you like linear thinking, St. John will be a bit of a slog for you because he sort of goes around and around and around. Before you like, land at the plane, John. But he begins by saying, yes, love one another, step two. And he comes back to that again and again. But he also comes back again and again to step one which we hear it in uh, uh, verse 10. He says, In this is love, not that we love God, but he loved us. So love one another, and then in this is love, not that we love God, step one, but that God loved us, step two. Sorry. (laughs) We love God, that's step two. These numbers are so confusing. Step two is... We love, but step one is that God loved us. And he says he sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then he sums it up even shorter, because he knows people have problems uh, like me with remembering things. In verse 19, we love because he first loved us. We love, step two, because he first loved us, step one. He first loved us. Now, I wish uh, that me just telling you that was enough. Because as hard as it is to remember the love one another, step two, it seems to me even harder to remember the step one, that God loved us. I wish all I had to do was tell you God loves you and that would make it stick. But all of us have really thick armor. And sometimes the message that God loves you can get into your brain. Sometimes I can get it into your head. Sometimes I can get it into my own head. But what seems to be a challenge is to get it into the heart to really know that you are loved by God. The reason I know that this is really hard for people to do is because I talk to people all the time who've gone to church their whole life, who've heard this passage read a million times, who've seen the bumper stickers and the billboards that say, God loves you, and they are still so profoundly guilty. As they sit on the couch in my office, the emotion, the thing that is with them all the time is their guilt. This feeling of not being good enough, this feeling of being unlovable, this feeling of unworthiness, all these different words that kind of get around the same thing. And it's not like we have a lot of help from out there in the world to undo this. Uh, Remember when we used to get our groceries in person? There was a time when you did that. There was no curbside. There's no delivery of your groceries. You had to go and you had to park and you had to fight the crowds of people and you would go through this last little gauntlet called the checkout line which really separated 
you know, the wheat from the tares. And in that line, you would be surrounded by magazines. There's always one about, like, commemorating Elvis Presley. Uh, but then there's, another, there's all these other magazines that tell you what's wrong with you and how to fix it. It's a picture of a person who's got their life together, a slim person with a BMI in the range that we're all shooting for but never hit. And it tells you how in two weeks you can look like that person. Subtle message, you're terrible. What's wrong with you? Why aren't you perfect? My friend David Zoll said that there are three voices in your, one voice in your head that's saying three things at all times. Do more, try harder, and you are the worst. Do more, try harder, and you are the worst. And so with that voice in our head, we hear that God is love, and it sort of comes and then ricochets off because the voice in here is so much louder. And there's so many people repeating that message. Not only does it live in our head, it lives in our social media. It lives all around us. Maybe you have um, uh, a, a parent who means well. I saw an article, a humorous article in the New Yorker week, and the headline was, um, um, it was a mother talking to a child saying, it's so good to see you now that we've been vaccinated, uh, but you look like you've put on a few pounds. So there's voices around us that echo the voice inside us, you're the worst, and so we hear... God loves you, and it's like, well, that's just another spiritual thing people say to make me feel better, but really deep down I know I'm the worst, because that's the thing I hear all the time. So how can I, as a preacher, and as a human, who also needs to hear this message, right? This is what Morrissey sang of the Smiths, I'm human and I need to be loved. How do we get this in here? How do we get past the disappointment with ourselves, our sense of failure, our sense of inadequacy, the imposter syndrome that we have, which is where we fear that we're just faking it and somebody's going to find out that we're faking it? Um, We feel like the only person leading a double life. You know, everybody else is living a life of complete integrity. They have no secrets. You know, we're the only ones that have that going on, or we're the—I'm the only one that's not organized. I'm the only one that. Is, has not been responsibly saving in my 401k since I graduated from college. I'm the only one that uh, worries about my physical appearance or how I worry all the time. But the truth is, we all think this way. And this message that God is love is, seems to be, no matter how much we say, it seems to sort of never quite penetrate to the core. So how do we, how, I mean, John has to say it over and over. So how, if St. John couldn't do it, how the heck am I going to get through to you? I don't know. God, help me. Holy Spirit, do some work here. And this is where I want to talk about Adam Sandler, and then I want to give you an experiment. In the movie Punch Drunk Love, written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, starring Adam Sandler of Happy Gilmore fame, in an incredible dramatic role... He plays an anxious, insecure, isolated, lonely, novelty plunger salesman. That's what Larry Adams Thompson used to do before he decided to enter holy orders, right? Um, He goes through life being mocked by everyone, even his own family, 
but he falls in love. And this woman is able to love him knowing who he is. And at the end of the movie, he's confronted by a bully, played by Philip Seymour Hoffman, who has bullied him all the time, and, but finally, for the first time in his life, he feels the ability to stand up to him. And this bully is just confounded and surprised and says, what's going on? He says, I have a love in me so strong you could never understand. Now, that may seem like a silly example, but this is the kind of thing happening on a horizontal level that I am hoping we can get to on a vertical level, meaning often we experience love horizontally. Somebody, despite our flaws and failures, actually loves us. Another human being makes love feel real to us, and it's powerful, the power of love. But getting that to happen vertically, sometimes that can be a clue to help us get there. John says in verse 18, there is no fear in love. This is where I'm getting to the experiment. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. Let me say that again. Fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. Some of us may hear that as saying, I need to reach perfection in love. Once I'm good at loving other people, then I will not have fear in my life. But this is not saying that you have to reach perfection in love and then you'll get rid of fear, meaning you have to love perfectly and then you'll get rid of fear. It's saying you will get rid of fear when you realize you are perfectly loved. When you, what it is to reach perfection in love is to realize that you are fully, completely loved. And this is my experiment for you. My brothers and sisters who live with fear and anxiety and shame and isolation and neurosis and are guilty and don't feel like we're loved or worthy of love, somebody has let us down and that has left a deep scar and we just don't think we're loved or lovable What if this is true? What if you're loved? And you're not fixed, and you're not better, but you're loved today. And this is the experiment, to just try that out this week. And here's the place where it works. This is the place where you'll know where you can do your homework. It's when you fail to live up to whatever your expectations are for yourself. You don't need to hear that you're loved in the areas of your life where you're doing great. You already know you're awesome in those areas. But in the places where you fail, the places where you let yourself down, to forgive yourself, to let the self-loathing take a break for a week, to let the, I'm the worst, just get that out of your vocabulary for a week. I promise you the guilt and the shame will be waiting for you if you'd like to pick them back up again. They're like little suitcases in your closet. They're always there if you need them, if you need some baggage. But just for this week, what if the gospel were true? What if God is love? What if God cannot look at you without feeling love? What if the forgiveness is actually real? 
What if the sins have actually been put away? What if Jesus' death on the cross really was an atoning sacrifice for our sins and there's nothing you have to feel guilty for anymore because it's all been forgiven? What if that were actually true? Try it out for a week. Let me know how it goes. The power of love. It's real. We're so scared of it that we keep it at arm's length. So just for a week, imagine it's true. Let us pray. Almighty God, help us to believe that we are loved. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.